everybody. Welcome back to Recovering Church Girls. I'm your host, Tanya Adlita, and I have with me today, Adam Maurice Mendoza. And we have been looking forward to this conversation for weeks, if not months. So I can hardly wait to dive in and to share it with you. So first of all, hi, Adam Maurice. Hey, how are you? I'm so good and I'm so excited to be able to talk about this. And man, I start every episode telling everybody how excited I am. And I was so careful not to say that. And it still spilled out anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I guess there are worse things in the world, right? Of course. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited too. Um, I just, I so appreciate how you show up in the world and just who you are and the level of transparency that you approach life with. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited for this conversation. And even there was something in the moment that we met, we were literally both coming around opposite sides of a corner, bumped into each other at an event. And there was just something in that moment where I was like, Ooh, I need to get to know her more. (laughs) So it took us a little while, but here we are. (laughs) Yes, same here. And that's why I'm so appreciative of live events and being able to meet people in person, because there's just a completely different magic um, that happens when you're able to see someone in person and touch them and hug them. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm all about the hugs. <laughs> yes. I'm Latino. So of course I'm kissing and hugging. I love it. That's perfect. Okay. So let me ask you this. When you first heard the phrase recovering church girls, what came up for you? Like how did that resonate with your own uh, upbringing and culture and perspective? What did, what did that do as, as far as uh, in your own mind and heart? I immediately got the concept. <laughs> There's no you saw yourself pretty quickly, huh? <laughs> no need for explaining. I completely get the concept because um, I was raised um, Catholic uh, and I come from the Hispanic um, Latino um, culture, which is very, very, very um, Catholic, <laughs> very conservative. And so I, you know, I completely get what that means. And um, I, I think even though at fourth grade, I was not in a Catholic school anymore, we still had to go and do all, all the religious ceremonies and things that you have to do, even though we're not actively, you know, belonging to the church, because you have to do that. And so there's so many things um, behind uh, what, you know, recovering church girls would trigger in my mind because it still comes up, you know, I became a psychotherapist and I've worked through many things, um, a a lot of inner work, but there's so many things that still come up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this limited belief that I have is still coming from Mm. when I I was in school or when we used to go to church or, you know, from that part. Okay, so that is so refreshing to hear that as a trained psychotherapist, that you still encounter these things personally, because I feel like there are moments where I'm going, oh my word, haven't I done this already? Like I've done the work, I've gone through, you know, the shadow, I've gone through the light, I've gone through all the things that I need to do to know myself, and nevertheless, I bump up into something once again, and to unpack and to follow that trail of, okay, is this actually true, what it is that I'm thinking about myself or the situation or whatever, but then to you know go to that layer underneath it and say, where did this come from, and trace it back to more often than not, some sort of pattern in the patriarchy or specifically the combination of the patriarchy and organized religion or any of the many different ways that that has impacted us. So it's really refreshing to know that even in the very professional setting, 
it's not just me. <laughs> it's not just you. And what I've learned is that you really have to have a sense of humor um, about your own inner work because it's never really done. Um, I mean, it, you're, it's going to keep coming up because you store things in your brain, uh, in your body, in layers. And mm. so I always call it like the peeling of an onion. Um, because you peel one layer, oh, it's gone, but then you don't know that there's another layer. Our right. memories attached to each other because memories, you know, attached to each other um, in layers. And so you keep peeling layers and stuff keeps coming up and you start releasing it. And so you've got to have a sense of humor about inner work. You can't get too serious about it. Um, and, I, and I know like pe- different people have gone through different experiences in the past, but you really have to get like that lighthearted sense mm-hmm. of, oh my gosh, because if not, it's just going to get dark and, and, it, and it's going to feel like work and right. it's not going to be enjoyable and you're going to sabotage it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Funny that you mentioned that, that I've actually gone through just recently in one specific aspect, this idea of just feeling like everything was becoming so heavy, you know, cause I'm deep in working on the book for recovering church girls and all the research and just seeing the spider web of the, the systemic culture there's a piece of it that it's kind of like, okay, on one hand, this is so important for everyone to be able to understand and to see, to recognize that it's not just these individual experiences that we're having. There is a design here that wants us to have this kind of conflict and discordance, but to be able to then step out of that and still be in my regular life and be you know, the generally happy person that I am and all the rest of it, there are times where it's just like, oh, this is just so big and heavy and dark and twisty. And I don't want it to stay in that space, not only for myself, but also, you know, as we're working through this together as a community, there is so much more to our lives than the overbearing, overshadowing false promises of what we were told. And I'm not saying about spirituality. I'm saying about the false promises we were told to believe about ourselves to understand and unpack those. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that process was like for you personally? Was there a moment where you just kind of had this light bulb moment of saying something about this doesn't resonate? Or was it a series of things that happened throughout your coming of age type of experience? I think that also happens in layers because Mm -hmm. I've always been a very um, aware person, even as a child, which got me in trouble a lot because I (laughs) question everything. And so I remember my first memory of it uh, being in Catholic church. And um, I don't remember how old I was, but it had to be before grade three. So probably first grade, second grade. um, And uh, we were in, in the middle of service. And all of a sudden I look up and I see all the statues and I poke my mom and I go like, mom, um, doesn't Jesus say in the Bible that you shouldn't create like images? So mm-hmm. why are all these images here? And of course my mom's like, shut up. Like we're in the middle of service. Like, I don't know. Like, talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Like whatever, you know, just stop. And so I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And that dissonance, mm. um, kind of created the space for me to take every, everything's everything else after that just came on top of the dissonance. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that was already there before that. Um, like right now we're in Holy week. And so in the States, it's just kind of like more like a holiday or a normal week. But when I grew up back then, Holy week for that entire week, it was like death happened every day. Mm. You know, it was like nothing got done. There was no work the entire week. Everything was shut down. Um, and, 
and on TV, there was like four channels because there was no cable then. And it was all <laughs> movies about the passion and mm-hmm. everything was very sad and dramatic. And, you know, everything that all those things that happened before that moment are still or were still probably still are some of them <laughs> in the subconscious. So um, I was programmed before then. But at that moment, everything else I questioned. Mm. Um, but I still had to go through the process because culturally, like I still had to do the first communion and I had to do the confirmation and I have to do all that stuff. And um, even though I was like, I'm just doing it, but I don't believe any of it. Right. Um, so it, it, it took mental space and, and it kind of programs you to get used to doing things that authority figures tell you to do, mm. even though you don't agree with. That's what it programs you to do. Not like, even though I'm questioning it, I still have to do it because I have to get through this system. Right which is kind of similar to corporate where I spend some years because you're used to those systems. So you seek them. Mm-hmm. Um, and at third grade, uh, fourth grade, actually, I had a, a pre-slap me and um, oh my goodness. that's a, we, we still talk about it in my, in my home because we had gone to Ireland from Puerto Rico to Ireland for a year and it's a different language. So it's English, right? So I did my communion over there. And so I had to learn every prayer in English Wow! because it's English. And so when we returned, I went in, we were in mass and I went into confession like a Catholic girl does. And when we went into confession, it was like a room. So it wasn't like a, like those things where you can't see the face. It was like a confessional room. So the priest was there across the table and um, he asked me to say the last prayer that you do at the end. And I was like, I don't know it because I know it in English. And he was German. I couldn't even understand what he was saying in Spanish. So like really double standard. Right. <laughs> and, and so I told him, I don't know. And then I couldn't explain to him um, that I didn't know it in English, but not in Spanish. And then he reached across the table and just got like, oh. that's not what you do. And in that moment, I knew that was wrong. And I was like, this is wrong. And so I exited. I didn't feel in danger, but I knew that that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I, oh, I get out. And my parents were sitting like in the pew and I go and I sit down and I'm not taking this. Like I, I'm a talker. So I'm like, uh, guys, like, um, the priest just slapped me. My dad was going to go kill him. I bet. (laughs) But my mom, um, stopped him Hmm. and told him, hold on. That's not what we do here. Like we're in the middle of church and that's, we don't want to cause a scandal. And so I was sitting there going like that created my inside brain and how I process things. Whereas just the part that's like the rebel that goes forward. And then the other part that pulls you back. And I I remember it dating to that moment where it was like, yes, we go get it. And then the other part that sabotages you go like, no, but you know, maybe that's dangerous. Maybe Mm. you shouldn't cause too much a ruckus. Right. So that kind of designed me for Mm. the years to come. And it was very chaotic because I wanted to go get, eat the world, but then pulled back. And I still feel that, you know, that, um, that shows up uh, in my, in the entrepreneurial world for sure has shown up many times where I just want to go and just do all these things. And then I pull myself back. It's like, that's so much of a ruckus. Right. Yeah. I can resonate with that. That, that definitely that definitely feels very familiar. And I, I'm struck by this idea of the role that our parents have played. And it's, it's so interesting for me. And I'd be curious to know what your, your family dynamics are when it comes to religion and your family culture. 
with me, it's been, um, I think right now we're in a place of we, we just agree to disagree on certain things. Like there are certain conversations we're just not having right now. And I know that at some point in time that needs to change, but right now (laughs) there's, there's just this moment of, I want to stay in a place of happiness and light and laughter and remembering all the good and not, you know, it's that place of where do you draw the line between understanding the different layers of emotion that happened in the moment, but then also happened in the remembering, but also recognizing you know, you had two very strong forces, one that was the avenger and one that was the appeaser. And, you know, I wonder how much that continues in family dynamics. And as each of our parents grow and change and consider new things and take new opinions, I think I sometimes forget that they have the ability to grow and learn and expand just as much as I do. So I think I'm probably doing us a disservice by not talking about it. And yet at the moment, I also know I'm not ready. So that's just my rambling about my family. What does it look like for yours, especially because, you know, you do have such a strong cultural impact that is so heavily tied to religion as well. It's interesting because our family really went through many changes. Like after, after that, we weren't really very religious. Like we really Mm. didn't go to church much. Um, I think my parents were also on a search uh, because my dad also grew, uh, he's from the Dominican Republic and he also grew very Catholic. He used to service in in a church. He used to work as a child um, during the service. So they both grew up very Catholic, but I think in their growth, um, you know, they really went through a, this is, there's something missing. And they started reading, uh, different books and, um, they started growing. So we distanced a lot from that. And we really didn't go to church at all. When I was like in high school, uh, I really don't remember going to church at that point, but I do remember that during like the end after, after I graduated high school, I had already like was going to college, started going to college. My mom had started watching a priest, um, a pastor on TV, uh, a local pastor on TV. And she just religiously watching it. And we used to make fun of her and go like, oh my gosh, here we go. You're going to give him all your money. Like what's good? Like, oh, we go, we go from, from Catholic to like, now you're, you're going to give him all your money because go to the other extreme. And we used to make so much fun of her. Um, and, but she religiously watched it and, and, during that time in college, I was like partying and going to college. And I was like, you know, I I went to college away from home, like two hours away from home. So I lived by myself and having the, the, the good life. Well, not that good because I had to study a lot. (laughs) So, and I I had an experience that I still recall, which I know it's like supernatural experience. I can't explain it. I'm very scientific. So um, this, the spiritual and scientific part of me go to battle all the time. Um, but we were out one night, uh, Thursday night, and there was this group of Christian kids just going around telling people like people were drinking and partying and nothing like bad, but we were just out like normal college kids. And this group of kids, like they had masks on and they were just, you know, like 
kind of trying to call attention, um, you know, in talking about God and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, we were like laughing at them and all that stuff. And okay, so hold oh, on a second, though. The fact that they had masks on, like, that's so off-putting to me. I, it, I grew up as one of those kids who were doing the, like, let's go to the boardwalk and let's pass out tracks and ask people if they're going to heaven or hell. So I'm like, that was part of my upbringing. But the idea of putting a mask on, that just makes it feel so much more oppressive and aggressive. And that's really concerning. It was, I've, we've never seen them before. I've never seen them before. Um, I, they didn't feel like, they weren't like being aggressive, but they had like, and I can't remember what type of, at this point, I can't remember what type of masks were, but we weren't scared or any, we were just laughing at them. And one of them actually steps in front of me and tells me, today you laugh at me, but one day you will understand what I'm talking about. And I was like, whatever, like <laughs> ridiculous, you know, and they just kept on moving. We never saw them again. I've never saw them again. And I went to school there for, for five years and never saw anything similar to that. So when you say masks, yeah, that was very weird because we'd never saw a group like that before. But then something happened. Like after that, I don't remember the time frame, but I went back home and I, I told my mom one day, it's like, well, if you love that pastor and that church so much, why don't you just go? Why don't you just get in the car and go, hey, get dressed, let's go. And I took her and long story short, I converted and I actually even worked in church for a number of years. Um, and I, I now don't belong to that church because, you know, I grew more, but it really saved my life in a lot of ways because it helped me unpack a lot of the old Catholic beliefs of oppression that I had. Cause this one was more about love and God loves you and you can prosper and you could do what you, whatever you want to do and you have a purpose. And so it helped me unpack, mm -hmm. but it wasn't enough, right? There was another layer right. that I had to go always through. Always a process, right? Yeah. But it, I, I always think how weird that that kid stood in front of me and it did end up happening because I did end up <laughs> believing, you know, what he, what that kid said in front of me. And I don't know who he was. I can't say because they have masks. So I don't know if it's right. purposeful that that's the point. But, um, but yeah, that helped me unpack a lot of what I, I had before. And, um, but yeah, working in the insights of this other huge church, just, you know, I saw other things that I was like, well, I don't agree with that. So I have to leave. Um, but it's the, the growth, right? Like sometimes... Mm -hmm. We can't, because of how we've been programmed, we can't go from this to that. We go through like the different stages that prepare us for right. for the next one. And so everybody's different in how we progress that. So now living now, I see like, oh, that served a purpose because it really protected me through college. Like I didn't go through extremes because I had that foundation that was created there. Um, and so that really protected me through childhood. And I think even adulthood where I really didn't, I stopped drinking after college and I didn't do drugs and I didn't, I wasn't promiscuous and all those things um, that could have put my life in danger. Right. Um, helped me because I had that other church, that other foundation that was kind of covering me. And so I'm thankful for the stages. Yeah. I, and I love that idea. It's the first of all, there's so many different things that I think are, are so interesting about this. One is the idea of respecting each individual person's journey and honoring that. So I love that, you know, you're the one that kind of nudged your mom to, to actually go to the church and to experience it. And I think that that's something that comes true for me over and over and over again, is the idea that 
we each are here to have our own unique experience. And in so many ways, we are strengthened in community. But at the end of the day, there's something within us individually that needs to be worked out in a spiritual way. And to be able to have that space where you can look at it from a community aspect and you can have that, you know, kind of we're in this together and still have that moment of saying, but I personally don't agree with X or Y or Z and I can choose differently based on that. And to have that freedom to do so, I feel like that's one of the things that, you know, really has been lost in the church culture is respecting the individual experience. Yes. And also, you know, you, you have to know that if you want to really keep on peeling the layers and going, you know, increasing your level of expansion and knowledge of who you really are and the powerful person that you are, because really getting to know the, all this healing and letting go is really to get deeper into who you really are. And that's scary because knowing that we have power, it's really the scariest thing that we ever encounter. It's not the outside. It's not the external. It's really knowing that I am this powerful and I can affect change. Mm -hmm. And so allowing yourself to go through these stages and knowing that community, like you say, is important, but knowing that at certain point, you will always have to live your community because community in a group does not grow and expands as fast as an individual can. And so individuals expand and grow at different levels. And so you have to know that you're going to have to leave each community and it's going to feel so lonely, but it's part of the process because there are certain points in the healing process of your life that you have to be alone um, because all the influences affect how you think and how you process things. So in those moments of real expansion is when you feel the loneliest, know that that's what's happening. You have to be by yourself because it's the way that you can really dig deep and let go without outside energies and outside influences. And when I had to leave that second church, that really was my family. Like all my mm-hmm. friends were there. I worked there. It was my job. Um, you know, I was there seven days a week, basically, because I served and I worked and my friends were there. So entertainment, friends, money, everything was attached to that. But at the same time, I was being oppressed. Mm-hmm. So I had to cut like that. And that was um, like the time of my life. I actually went through a chronic illness. Mm. through that process. Like I thought I was going to die. So that severe was the cutting of the yeah. cord that I don't, I didn't think I was going to make it to 40. Mm. Um, Cause that's severe. It took me five years to recover, mm. fully recover from my illness. And so, uh, but it was the loneliest time of my life, but it was the fastest expansion that I've ever experienced mm. uh, in those five years. I became a psychotherapist in those, in that expansion. That totally makes sense. And especially everything that you've mentioned about the idea of how our physical bodies store the trauma and, you know, build upon all of those different things that again, just totally makes so much sense to me. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about like, what was it that caused you to leave that space in that community? Was it more, you mentioned that there were things that you started to see and and disagree with. Um, And then I'm also really curious, like what's your spiritual life like now in the sense of, um, because I think we would both fall into that category of spiritual, not religious, and it's a continual, you know, evolution and experience, but I'd love to hear more about what that journey was like for you. Um, I, I saw 
the, the business side of it way too much. I was involved in the business because I was involved in managing everything. I am an accountant by trade. Like I had a degree in business. So I'm a psychotherapist, but I was a previous accountant, uh, administrator. So I saw all the business side of it. Mm. Um, and, and, and also we have to remember that now as a psychotherapist, I understand uh, a lot of narcissistic personality traits are attracted to religion as business, Mm. um, because it's, it's thrilling and, uh, they are very attracted. And so a lot of, unfortunately, religious leaders have, if they're not narcissists by diagnosis, they do have a lot of narcissistic sociopathic traits Mm -hmm. in a way. And so I suffered a lot of emotional abuse and it's, I mean, imagine it's hard. I think I I didn't say anything for a number of years because I knew it would hurt a lot of friends that are still there. Mm. And I, I feel, I almost feel like it's safer for me to say it when I'm speaking English than I'm not talking to the Hispanic community. (laughs) Still get hurt because I still have friends that are involved and they would, you know, it's, it's, they take that as an attack. Oh, Um, absolutely. It's, it's very uncomfortable to be the one who is, is saying this is not the way this is supposed to be and trying to do it in such a way that is filled with grace and love and acceptance. And at the same time, holding accountable the idea of, you know, human to human, this is not the way that we need to treat each other. So I can completely understand, you know, just that duality of the moment. It's very complicated because, you know, like, in, in, in our society also, we see those traits as good. Like in the business world, those traits are good because it's what keeps, oh, successful people do this and do that. And you have to be driven and you have to, you know, do all or nothing and all those things. And in, in the business entrepreneurial side of things, that's seen as a good thing. So mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people that stay, they just attribute that to that. And also they can't afford to lose the community. And once you leave, you, I mean, you are treated, you, we always joked before when people would leave and I was still there that you're going to be blacklisted. Um, and so that's exactly now what happens and exactly, you know, you're blacklisted. You, you can't really be associated because you now have gone to the black to the other end. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that I, I within me, I, I, I had a, what kept me like strong, I think, was like, I am going to prove that this is not the case. Because the aura that's created is like, if you leave, the cover leaves, leaves mm-hmm. stays here, and your life is going to be as successful as it would have been. Right. Here. Once you step out the door, all bad things are going to happen to you because we here are, you know, have, have it all figured out and we're the right ones and all the rest of it. Yep. That all sounds really familiar. Exactly. And so inside of me, I was like, I'm going to recover from this and I will, I will make this, I will show that this is not the case. And it took a little bit of time, but, um, I, I have proven that I've, you know, my life is way more successful and I'm much happier and healthier than I was when I was in. And so a lot of people are coming to me, um, are, are coming to me and, and, you know, trying to figure out like how this, this happening. And I think that, you know, there was a purpose for me, uh, to, there was a purpose of, of, for me to reconnect with some people, um, at certain level to show that, you know, yes, you can leave and you can still be successful. And some of these things that you're experiencing are oppression. Like they are emotionally abusing, uh, and manipulating you mm-hmm. in order to, to, to grow what they need to grow. And so I think that that part has healed me in a sense, knowing that there was a purpose for what I went through and to get to the other side, 
Um, and so becoming a psychotherapist and understanding deeply how the mind works and how that affects how people interact with other people has also been very healing mm. and, and allows me to work with women um, at a deeper level, understanding all the different uh, levels, you know, that inter- interact in, in what our programming is and, and how we respond uh, to, you know, to everyday things. Cause it's not only your limited, people think your limited beliefs are in your brain and it's your entire body. Mm. Um, and you have symptoms all over your body and it's, energetic but it's also your mind and your brain um so it but it's also what's going on in your community so you can't just isolate that right Um, you have to treat it in conjunction and look deeply at at a person's life you can't just you know just do one thing and say this is what's operating in your life right and i think about that even you know both of us being in the entrepreneurial space there's so many um hmm, what's the word i want to (laughs) use I'm just going to go with people at the moment. I'm not going to label it. There's so many people in our space that tend to approach business as this is the one way to be successful. If you want to be successful, then you're going to pay me to teach you the way that it worked for me. And that is always so concerning to me because, well, let's be honest, most of them are men. Um, because it's this idea of compartmentalizing to a degree that just doesn't work for so many of us, first of all, who are women in in terms of just the way that we tend to synthesize things. But then also beyond that, to understand who we are now, we have to look at who we were and all of the rest of the influences there in order to have any idea about where we can go from here. So I just, it, it always has jarred me you know, in the idea of that's just so myopic. And I feel like it, it further sets out that separation between the idea of success versus allowing each person to identify and name success for themselves and then work with who they are, as opposed to being that, you know, round peg in the square hole type of idea. Well, you know, and yes, like all this, you know, obviously we live in a patriarchy, so it started by men, right? Um, and so uh, it's a very manly system, um, but it's also a very sociopathic system. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if we look at the personalities and, and what a lot of the leaders in the past, the, the ones that did good and the ones that did not so good, a lot of them um, had very sociopathic, narcissistic um, personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what men in business do, as they've done for ever is, you know, they do have those traits. And so that's why they're successful, uber, uberly successful, because they don't really have empathy, right? Mm-hmm. They just, it's money. It's, it's not even money. Sometimes it's just the power that drives. Right. And so what's happened is that also now women have taken that um, because of equality. Um, women have taken that role. So there's a lot of women actually taking that, you know, patriarch kissed role, mm-hmm. um, but doing it in a way that looks prettier. Mm. And so we don't, because <laughs> we can we just put it in blush gold and, you know, glitter. Glitter and we're all good. Right. <laughs> and, heels and glitter and keep, you know, we, as women go like, well, that's what we need. Mm. And without realizing, no, you haven't healed. We, yeah. You're just shifting from one, um, 
you know, patriarchist um, system to the other. It's just this one looks prettier and gives you the illusion mm. of freedom, but you're, you're being manipulated in the same exact way that the other person does it. It's just now instead of a man figure, it's now a woman figure. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's rampant and it keeps growing and expanding every, every day. And so we have to go beyond, you know, the person mm-hmm. that the person that we have and dig deeper as to, you know, does this person, is this person empathetic? Like how does this person treat like the person next to them? How do they treat the smaller person? How do people treat people like at a deep mm. personal level? Because that's the only way to really know um, if that person's purpose is really what they say it is. Right. or it's just another extension of the of the church system because it's the church system is 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 corporate is government it's the same exact system absolutely so are you in the same church with a different name right and i see a lot of events like a lot of entrepreneurial events it my husband actually told that to me i took I, he started being becoming an entrepreneur when he joined me and he was like well he grew up in the south he's like this is church and I go, <laughs> same exact system the church uses in events. It's exactly the same triggering of emotions because it's a system mm-hmm. that they learn. Right. And so a lot of events, you're just changing one church for the other. And if you're not aware, you're going to experience the same victimization that mm-hmm. you did. If you haven't been able to heal that really from, from earlier age, you're going to be re-victimized mm-hmm. in all other areas. And you're not going to realize that that's what's happening. Right. I so appreciate you saying that because I feel like there's such a consistency within so many different systems and structures and constructs that we experience in our lives. And I think one of the things that was really interesting when I first started doing this work, I'd get people that didn't know what it meant to be a recovering church girl and also didn't recognize that, you know, from where I sit, you don't have to have grown up in the church or in organized religion to experience these kinds of frustrations or struggles or pains or heartaches or all out trauma, because the, it's exactly, as you said, it's the trickle down effect of the patriarchy and all of the construct that is consistent within each of these different systems. So again, we're looking at a systemic issue. It's not just, you know, sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. It's just as prevalent going down Main Street, USA. And it's not an American thing either. Like this is not something that we hold the corner on the market for. Oh, no. I mean, I, okay, I'm a nerd. And so I, I just love history. And I, travel I love traveling to Europe because it's an older continent right like there's older more history and a lot of what we have now came from there right because we are we were a colony and so I just love digging into and learning where you know where all this this is where was the system created and you know back to the Vikings and Rome and all that stuff and it's so interesting because it 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 was always designed to control. It was always, always. And and it's still to this day, sometimes my husband and I have conversations like, I love England. I kind of like the, like, I kind of like the royalty and like the gossip of that. Like, yeah, I do. I I love castles. Like I'll admit to that, but you know, at a deeper level, like, like, you know, like the church they have and the religion they have now was created by a crazy King that didn't, that wanted to divorce. And the, the Catholic church wouldn't give him a divorce. So he's like, well, I'm going to create my own church. And that's, 
he was a mad person. And that's the church that they still have today mm-hmm. as came directly from God. So right. I mean, Won't even look at how many Bibles are on the shelves that are all the King James version. And if it's not King James, then it's not really the word of God, is it? And if we study who King James was, <laughs> right, then all of a sudden things are seen in a very different light. God, right? And so, um, so like, you really have to dig deep as to where these things come from. And I understand that, you know, the average person doesn't have the time and energy, they're just trying to survive, right? Um, Try to put food on the table and make a living and just trying to live life. And we, Mm -hmm. we do have, you know, so much uh, um, stimulus that, you know, we're just trying to make it through this overstimulated world. So I don't expect like every person to go, you know, sit down on a Sunday night and watch three documentaries and, right. <laughs> and, and read three history books like I do because I just like it. Um, but, you know, it that's really where all this comes from. And unfortunately, yeah, if you're not aware that that's the system um, that's trying to oppress you, to take advantage of you, um, then you're just going to be, you know, part of it. Yeah. It, it is what it is. <laughs> So let's talk about that a little bit further. And I'm also really curious about, you know, I feel like we, we do things because there's some benefit to us, whether it's keeping things level and not rocking the boat and not risking our social capital so that we can stay in the community, or if it's this idea of, you know, similar kind of maintaining the status quo in many cases, I think people would say that they feel some sort of hope or reassurance, or they do feel a spiritual connection in this construct. And again, I want to be very quick to say that I have no judgment for that whatsoever. But I'm curious about when you start to get into this awakening and you start to see, I remember very clearly one of the many moments Uh, that I've had along this journey, but I was sitting in the balcony section of our chapel at university and we were required, it was a Christian evangelical school, charismatic. So we were required to attend chapel multiple times. I'd become a commuter my last semester, which meant that I could move off campus and therefore I had to sit in the balcony. Everyone that was part of the residence campus was on the, the main floor below. And I remember there was this moment where uh, one of the speakers guests, they were family members of the president, uh, they were performing, they were sing- literally singing and dancing, not that we're allowed to dance, but you can do the Holy Ghost hop and you're okay. Um, but anyway, they had their son performing with him and he couldn't have been more than eight or nine. But I remember having this overwhelming sense of a marionette puppet master standing above the stage And literally being the one to control the movements. And I could see it. I could see it and feel it so clearly. And it was just one more moment, you know, along those ways. So as you're walking into this experience, starting to feel like, ooh, that doesn't feel right to me. Or, you know, I logically disagree with this statement. Or all of these different pieces that become our awakening. How do you reconcile the good that's there and the hope that some people can feel and the internal dialogue and the dissonance. You mentioned earlier this idea of, you know, the spiritual aspect and the scientific aspect of you, and that sometimes those go to war. I would imagine it's very similar, you know, kind of in this uh, awakening process. Any words of wisdom or insight on that? Yes, because there's so many there's so many layers and, and things at play, right? A lot of the things that we feel, uh, we are energy. We humans, we are 
energy. Um, and energy is physical. Like you can feel wind when it, when it brushes against you, right? So we are energy. And so um, when you are in this environment, there is an energetic space that's created. Mm. So if you are used to this kind of energy vibration, this energy frequency, frequency, you feel safe. Um, so like it, it really going to depend on what you experienced growing up, right? That feels like the right frequency to your body. And so you stay because you feel safe because the human wants to survive. That's mm-hmm. the instinct, right? And so you want to survive. So it feels safe for your body. So that's why it takes so long for people to leave, even though they can have some awakenings, the safety uh, is, it tra- takes priority. Mm. And so uh, that's why people stay and people confuse fe- that feeling with spirituality, mm. right? They feel I have a spiritual connection. Well, you really have an energy connection. Um, it, it, it might just be an energy connection, even though this person is emotionally abusive or puppeteering, you know, and maybe they don't have a bad intent that that's how they grew up and that's what they know how to do. It doesn't make them bad people. Right. That's just what they know. And so it's really an energetic cord, like a connection that makes, makes you feel safe. And when you start having those awakenings, it, 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 there, it creates a dissonance in your energy. And so it makes you go, oh my gosh, like I feel now I don't feel safe Mm -hmm. because now I have discovered something and that energy shifts in you where now that thing that made you feel safe, that kept you there, doesn't feel that safe anymore. And now it feels uncomfortable. And so you, you search for what's going on and that's where everybody's journey is different when that moment happens and how you manage that, um, that, that energy change in you and so that triggers more awareness and then you realize oh you know like that's not really what I thought it was Mm -hmm. and so then you know if you're open because once the thing is once you're able to to remove yourself from that energetic hold then you're able to see things that Mm -hmm. you didn't see before because you were you know kind of like blinded by and and using the glasses that you had then so the glasses now change and so that's how the process goes, but it's multidimensional mm-hmm. uh, in a way. And, and, you know, I am thankful for many things that I learned. They were good and they were bad things. They were positive and they were negative things. Like I, a lot of my entrepreneurial, yes, I can do this comes from being there for so many years. I'm like, I know how to get, like, I'm going to host a retreat this June. And I, I have no, you know, I, I work behind of many retreats with hundreds of women so I, I, I know how I can put this together and many, you know, the certainty that businesses can work comes from that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of good things. I have good friends that are, that have become my clients that were from that. So it, there's a lot of good that has also come from that. So it has not all been negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thankful for the good that, you know, I learned just, you know, integrated into my I integrated into my new life experience and then just release the, the, what didn't work or what Mm -hmm. was not positive. Yeah. And I love that. I feel like there's, there's a certain aspect of healing that it seems to me we may not be able to reach if we're unwilling to keep the good and leave the bad. There feels like there's a, there's a sense of forgiveness in that process and if we are to simply say that it was all bad, then I feel like at that point, we're destined to repeat 
a lot of that pain and experience over and over again because we're not allowing any good to filtrate through this perspective that everything is bad. And I think about that even kind of in this idea of a, a worldview, that all bad things always happen to me. Or, you know, you get kind of the the stereotypical like negative Nancy drama queen type of a thing. But there is that very true universal law energetic happening that continues to bring what it is that we're focused on. So if we can't find the good in a bad experience, I feel like that really sets us up for a repeat of the same until we get that lesson. Absolutely. And, you know, to not, I don't want to make light, uh, you know, what some people have experienced in, in church environments, which they've been abused physically, uh, sexually, emotionally. And I'm thinking those people ask me then, you know, what was good about that? Like, what can I take good about that? I'm like, if you survived, you can, if you can take that you survived, that you are stronger than you think you are. Cause if you survived that and you're still here and you're speaking to me and you're alive and you have passion and you have energy and you have desire, you survive. That's a good thing that came out of that to know that they can't break you, that situations can't break you, uh, that you're not breakable. Um, then that's the good thing that you can take from that, that you are stronger than you think you are because, you know, everybody's situation is different. And I have, I am in no way comparing myself to someone has gone through experiences like that. Cause I did not, um, you know, and so I, no, no one is at the same level as anybody else. Um, but yes, if you can take that, you were not broken because you are whole and you survived. And that's the one good thing that from now on, just know that you can overcome anything that comes to you because you survived that. Right. So who's going to stand in your way at this point? I love that you said that because I, it was literally like you were reading my mind because that was going to be my next question of, you know, I can say that from where I sit because I did not, you know, I had a lot of the emotional abuse and the spiritual manipulation and the brainwashing, but I was not physically harmed. I was not sexually harmed. The purity culture certainly screwed me up in terms of my, the way I think about sexuality, but I, I was much safer than others who have had heartbreaking experiences. So I love that you said that specifically because that was literally exactly what I was just going to ask you. You read my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've worked with, you know, the thing is I did not know until I became a psychotherapist and started actually practicing. By now I've worked with thousands of people uh, in both as a coach and and, and psychotherapist. And I had no idea how rampant uh, mm-hmm. sexual um, physical abuse is until I started practicing because that's a secret and it's a taboo and you know people are not disclosing these things but it is so much more uh, common than what people think I was completely shocked at how many judges and lawyers mm-hmm. and successful business people and clergy at, had been um, severely abused um, growing up I it was a shock I think that's the sh- that's the biggest shock I've ever had um, in my professional uh, and entrepreneurial career is to really see how many people that we know that we see each day and have no idea that they, they're still grappling with the effects of, of what abuse is and all the taboos that we have in society as to, you know, what that looks like or what that doesn't look like. And um, recently I watched a documentary uh, that came out um, and Oprah did an interview uh, to a couple of boys uh, that are now young men uh, that were abused by a famous um, 
pop star. And uh, I'm, I don't know if it happened or not, because we can't really, we can't judge if it happened or not. But one thing I, 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 I kind of, I'm appreciative of that, of the documentary is the way that it explained mm-hmm. what sexual abuse is, because there's so much stigma put on the victim and the victim feel stigmatized themselves because they feel, well, it's my fault because Absolutely. it felt good or didn't, fe- I didn't feel that it was bad. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was wrong. And it's because of what the way, the way our bodies work. Mm-hmm. And so talking about that, you know, that's what a lot of people don't even know that they've been abused because they like, well, I didn't, I didn't feel that I was abused because it didn't feel bad. And so being able to talk about things like that, um, uh, it's, it's different in our culture. I don't think we've ever talked about it in that way. And, and I think that that's very helpful because it, it will de- stigmatize so many people that were abused in church and feel still like guilty because mm-hmm. they didn't, they let it go. They let it happen and they didn't feel it, that it was wrong at the time. They didn't feel wrong at the time. And those things need to right. be spoken. Absolutely. And I think that as you know, again, I say the word heartbreaking, but it's just devastating as all of the scandals are that come out of the church, especially it, it, there's such this disconnection for those that are still looking to the church for their hope and, you know, their, their salvation in that experience. But to be able to say, again, look at the system, look at the construct, look at the structure that is not only protecting those who are continuing to abuse, but how the judgment is laid out on the victim. But then when we go even a step further and we get down to that individual level and we're talking about the nuance between spiritual abuse and sexual abuse and how that impacts our identity and how we see ourselves and how we show up in the world, this is the stuff that we have to be able to name things and to talk about it. I mean, I don't know about you, if we had had this conversation when we were kids, like I would, the word, the word consent wouldn't even ring a bell. I would not know what that meant whatsoever. But now here we are, and it's something that we hear daily. And, you know, I remember when my kids were young, my son had a birthday party, and it was a bunch of, you know, preteen boys that were all doing the dog piling and, you know, pillow fights and the whole nine yards. And I would pop in every few minutes and I would be that mom. And I'd be like, and I just want to go one by one and make sure everyone, you know, like, are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? If I hear someone say no or stop, then it's actually going to be no or stop. I want you guys to use the words that you actually mean. <laughs> but it sounded a little bit extreme in that context. But at the same time, I felt it just, it felt like such an important responsibility to say that consent isn't something that we need to talk about just in the context of sexuality or sexual abuse, but it starts in so many different ways. No, you don't have to go and hug the random great aunt that you don't know if you don't want to. And being able to give individuals, child, you know, the agency that you are your own being and that's okay. That is so important because as a family therapist, I I worked as a family therapist for many years and, you know, children are very energy sensitive and they can spot dissonance very quickly. And that's how we learn to not trust our intuition as adults, Mm -hmm. because when we're five and this person wants to hug us and we just feel the energy is just not in alignment with us. We don't want to touch this person, but our parents say, you have to do it because he's an adult, he's an authority figure, and you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. It starts to undermine our intuition or our connection with our body and our 
with inner intelligence that knows better. Mm -hmm. And so you see adult women, for example, in relationships after relationship, and they're like, but he seemed different because no longer are you connected to your intuition, to your Mm -hmm. inner within intelligence that knows what, you know, what's best for you because you've learned to distrust that and only look at the outside signs instead of looking at really what your energy and your uh, spirit is telling you. Mm. And so, yes, I'm a, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's my thing as a, as a practicing <laughs> therapist. It's like, no, if your kid doesn't want to touch anybody, if he doesn't want to touch you, you don't touch him either because you need to respect what they're feeling in this moment because maybe your energy is in dissonance with their energy in this moment. And so you got to respect what they're feeling. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And just how powerful something as simple as that concept can be in allowing not only each individual person to tap into their own intuition, but the magnitude and the ability to heal communities on a widespread level. If each person had that level of autonomy and had that level of connection with their own intuition, can you imagine how different our culture would be? Like that's just, yeah, on one hand, it really inspires me. And on the other hand, I'm going, wow, we're really far away from that place. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's why, you know, when you're doing this kind of work, you really have to uh, bring fun into your life and, 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 be in perspective and and really create some harmony between how much work you do and how much life you live, Mm. because you can really run the risk of just running yourself down. Um, and, and kind of like destroying the beauty of your life by Mm. hyper-focusing on the darkness of, of what the work is, because the work is never going to be done. That's the truth of it all. We're all, you know, humans are on an kind of like, let me saying evolution is kind of funny. What, considering what we're talking about, but we are in a growth and expansion evolution, kind of whatever you want to call it, um, uh, journey. And so the work is not going to be done uh, in our lifetime. So, you know, you need to take time for yourself. You need to take time to enjoy your family, to have happy life. Um, unless, right, there, there are some people that that's what they believe their purpose was on earth. Like we take leaders like Martin Luther King, Lindsay Nelson, Mandela, you know, Gandhi, those, they knew that that was their purpose and that's what their life was. Like, if that's you, then that's your journey, then all the power to you. But if, if you feel like you want to have a family and you want to have a life and you want to enjoy and you want to travel, there's no judgment. There's nothing wrong with that, that you could do some of the work and then heal the planet by your happiness and by raising healthy children that's also your role uh so that's not a lesser role like being gandhi and being a good parent that takes care of your kids is the same role it's the same importance because the gandhis is are trying to bring energy balance to the world but if you don't do your role as a parent you're not helping right (laughs) you're making (laughs) it worse for for the gandhis of the world so it's as your role as a parent is as important as those kinds of roles there's they're not lesser in Mm -hmm. value so recognize that you know that weekend that you spend with your kids just doing nothing but paying attention to them is as important as if you were in a gathering of 5,000 people and preaching or giving a message or you know helping in an abandoned kid's home it's the same value absolutely a lot of judgment that happens with that if I'm not doing something greater than me then I'm not doing anything mm-hmm yeah, I think that is a huge piece that we we picked up in the church culture, this idea of martyrdom and sacrificial living to the extent of 
we're not taking care of our physical selves, our emotional selves, our mental selves. And often this idea, you know, I think of the, the Bible verse that talks about gaining the world and losing your soul. And, you know, I look at that for those of us who have the home, you know, what does that mean in your family? How does that play out? So I love that you said that. I knew this was going to be an amazing conversation and it indeed has been. Thank you so incredibly much for your time and energy and just being engaged in this with me. I'm so grateful. Oh my gosh. Just, I mean, I think like we can talk about this for like four hours, four Easily. days, a month. And so you have to come on my podcast because now I really want to talk about so <laughs> Happily, happily. And we're not done yet because what we're going to do is jump off and record a a bonus segment for everybody who is uh, a part of our mailing list and of our community. So if you haven't done that yet, there's a link in the show notes that actually invites you to be a part of the survey for the book. In that, um, it's literally, I think it's like four and a half questions. It should take you three minutes or less. It's just the idea of what has your experience been like up to this point. And the point five question is if you want to leave your name and email address and we'll get you added into the community. And then you get access to all of this bonus information and the bonus material that we've got. Plus you'll get up to date on you know the book and all sorts of fun things that we've got going on. Because I think that we might need we might need a retreat soon. This has been like growing in me for a while. So if you want to know more about it, jump on that little group and uh, that'll be the way to find out. So with that being said, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. 